Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 16 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. On today's episode, part three of a four-part series on agriculture. One of the most important things in life is to lean in on history. History covers all aspects of life and the lessons we learn, for if we do not learn from them, we truly risk repeating the same mistakes. Paul, let's look back whilst we're also looking forwards. Yeah, you know that there's that old saying, Dan, that uh, if you don't know your history, uh, you sort of be sentenced to repeat it. And while there is some validity in that, I think it's a bit too narrow. Uh, I remember uh, having Mark Gasparato come out and speak to uh, my CEO, my tech groups in Saskatchewan. And uh, he was a Canadian commander of uh, troops in Afghanistan. And one night uh, he was sitting in the turret of his personnel carrier and he said the unmistakable sound came of those American A-10 Warthog jets and uh, their position was actually attacked by uh, friendly fire. There was a mistake. He lost some guys and and he said one of the things that, that stood out for his presentation to us was he said when he's planning or was planning a, a you know, some kind of a battle or a skirmish that that there was a four-step process and that's what he was sharing. And this was his own construct, but one, two, and three are all the standard ones you'd expect. But four was the interesting one to me. It was catalog it, actually document what you just did. Because he said, if I would have been in a battle situation and a commander uh, from my team 20 years ago had been in the same thing, if I would have had the manual, you know, I wouldn't have repeated those mistakes. So he said it becomes critical to uh, sharing that information to to the future managers, leaders, whatever, who you really can't anticipate what's going to come in the future. So document what you've done, put your experiences down there. And I have one that came into this category for me that was uh, resonated when I was some years back, traveling with a federal cabinet minister. It was one of those things the prime minister had announced he's retiring. And uh, and so the you know what happens normally is the ministers hit the road, do their farewell tours and all that sort of stuff, those that are having no intention of seeking re-election under the new leadership. So I was following Bill McKnight, uh, Saskatchewan minister, great guy. And uh, so we he was doing an Asian tour, and I uh, went along as the reporter on this thing. And... Uh, you know, we stopped in a few places, but the one that, that this resonated for me was we were in Taiwan. And so we're in Taipei and, you know, it's uh, the Republic of China here. And, uh, you know, theoretically, we don't recognize them. We kind of recognize them, but we don't kind of recognize them. So Canada has this uh, this diplomatic policy called the two China policy. So we re- recognize Beijing, but we don't discount Taipei either but you never do anything official when you go there. So Canada, for example, has no embassy there, no official embassy, but we have a whole pile of uh, diplomatic staff who are all part of the Foreign Service, but they work ostensibly for the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Uh, There's an office there, and that's who theoretically houses them, right? So anyway, uh, you know, the minister's going over and and uh, mostly this is a kind of a ceremonial visit more than anything because A, the minister's on his way out, but B, there really isn't anything he can 
can kind of crank up on this thing, but you know, there's some relationships there. And uh, so we go in uh, to the meeting. He has a meeting with the foreign minister set up. And uh, it's, as always, you know, I'm the reporter. I go in and snap in the pictures of these two guys that were uh, shaking hands and greeting each other and all that kind of stuff. And the normal routine is as the journalist, you, you expect to be punted out of the meeting. You're not going to be invited to sit in when the two ministers are having their conversation, but you kind of don't scurry out either. You, you ask, you wait till, you know, the diplomatic staff escort you out the door or invite you to, you know, vamoose and get out of here. So anyway, this one was different because the foreign minister from the Taiwanese side stepped between me and the diplomatic staff and invited me to have a seat, wanted me in the meeting. Uh, and you know, knowing full well, that. Uh, I'm not just a part of the ministerial staff or anything. I am a reporter carrying a uh, carrying a camera and all that sort of business. So anyway, I dutifully sit down. Well, you could see the Canadian uh, diplomatic staff were getting apoplectic about this. But anyway, what could they do? I mean, we were in the minister's office and all that. So this minister was an interesting guy. He has been schooled in the United States and universities and stuff. So in a very North American English uh, accent, very you know, great command of the language and, and stuff. So anyway, they get talking and and uh, kind of the nub of the meeting goes like this. The foreign minister of Taiwan looks at the Saskatchewan minister, the federal minister of the crown for Canada and says, I want you to go back to uh, Ottawa and ask the prime minister to recognize Taiwan as a nation. Pretty potent topic, but I'm sure he does that fairly frequently with just about any visitor who comes through and McKnight had been briefed and did a really masterful job of, of spouting back the official Canadian line. Uh, we have a two China policy yada, yada, and all that sort of stuff. And the, the foreign minister of Taiwan looked at him and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. Well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Storytelling time. He said back in 1961, so China was behind the bamboo curtain. We were effectively a black country in terms of international communication. We were isolated. We really had very little in the way of diplomatic ties, or we certainly didn't have much, you know, there was no tourism or any kind of commercial ties. We were very much uh, a lone state. And he said, we were suffering natural disasters of earthquakes and floods and stuff, especially in Southwest China. Uh, people were starving. It was really quite a dark period in their history. And he said, it was Canada that broke ranks. You sent us food. You sent us flour. You sent us food supplies, and you sent us wheat. And uh, and he looks at McKnight right in the eye, and he said, and the prime minister was John Diefenbaker. And the minister of the Canadian Wheat Board was Alvin Hamilton. Diefenbaker is from Saskatchewan. Alvin Hamilton was from Saskatchewan. These guys had a way of breaking ranks with the rest of the world and going in a unique direction to help us. You're from Saskatchewan. You guys from Saskatchewan have a tradition. I want you to go back, look the prime minister in the eye, basically, and say, uh, it's time for us to recognize Taiwan. And, and I, I think because you guys have a history in Saskatchewan of doing this kind of stiff stuff, you're the, you know, I think you can do this for me. And, I mean, it was a potent conversation to start with, and clearly you know, spitting back the the dogma of the two-China policy was not going to answer the question on this one. It became an interesting dialogue. But what struck me in all of this is this guy knew our Saskatchewan history better than, you know, most of us knew our Saskatchewan history. 
And uh, you'd had to go quite a ways to find somebody here who could have detailed uh, the events that uh, happened in 1961 when Diefenbaker effectively broke ranks with the world and, and became the humanitarian leader. And and so that's where I came from this, is that there was there's also, yes, you have, if you don't know your history, the challenge or the chance of repeating your mistakes, but also you probably miss opportunities. I mean, even in your own corporate history or your organization's history, if you have not a solid understanding of what has gone before you by those who are at the helm of your organization or in leadership roles, that they may well have paved the road for you. You don't know it if you don't know your history and that you could really have opportunities that you forego or you miss completely simply because you didn't know you'd already been down this road. And so this is what struck me is know your history. Uh, others probably will. And if you don't know it, then you won't be armed very well in the conversation. And just to kind of f finalize the loop on this after the meeting, uh, you know, the Canadian staff, of course, were probably going to lose their mind that I was going to be writing this story. And, and so the next day, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of shunned, but that was fine. We were off doing other stuff and, and, uh, had a TV crew along. So we were, you know, we had to go shoot some B roll around Taipei and that kind of stuff. And it was raining classic, you know, typical, you know, hard, hard to do stuff. So the next day was the, uh, perfunctory or ceremonial meeting with the, uh, uh, the, the courtesy call on the president. And, uh, so we get, you know, head down on, in the hotel, down to the lobby, and we're going to get in the minivan to head over there. And just as it came my turn to step into the minivan with the minister, the Canadian staff stepped between me and the door and I didn't get to go. And, uh, so, you know, I guess, I don't know if they were worried that history was going to repeat itself or, or what, or, you know, somehow it was my fault that this had happened, but anyway, they took it out on me and they weren't going to take any chances. So, uh, the story, the first story that emerged out of this, yeah, I wrote about, you know, the, the, the minister's request, but, uh, the other one was the ugly Canadian uh, and how the diplomatic staff turned on one of their own uh, simply for, uh, you know, they, they weren't very diplomatic in my view, but anyway, uh, so be it. But the lesson I took from all of this was that uh, history is a powerful thing. And that's probably why we're doing this very podcast is to, you know, I've had some different experiences, so let's capture them and uh, maybe somebody someday will listen to one of these and get something out of it. Who knows? Oh, I know people listen to them now. We get the feedback here in the office and uh, there's certainly people feeding back to us of, I didn't know that or I wish I'd known that sooner or it's also been, I'm really proud of that moment because we've we've celebrated and certainly marked some momentous occasions in Saskatchewan's um, history and business evolution, the community evolution. I'm really intrigued when it comes to that communication side of legacy when it comes to the telling of the stories of where you've come from as an organization and maybe it's gone through generational ownership or maybe it's been owned by multiple entities when it comes to communicating to the people that follow or communicating to the members of staff who's there contemporaneously how do we make sure that the stories are captured? How do we make sure that the stories are told in a way that is not hyperbole or spin? 
That's a good question, but I'm going to go back to the first part of your question first and to say that the, the capturing of the experiences, if I can put it that way, is kind of comes at two levels for me. Uh, one is there's the organizational experience, so that's, that's us as a group. But ultimately, the story is always told from a single voice. So it is a, it, this is a very personal thing and it is something that individuals have to do. So if you go back to Mark Gasparato's comment, yeah, he's the military commander, but it's as the leader and the guy who's at the front of the parade, he's the one who has the best perspective and the deepest understanding of what happened in the skirmish. So I would say the same thing happens in, in our personal lives or in our corporate lives is those who are intimate to the play are the ones that should be capturing some perspectives on this. And and I think what you want to be able to do is to is to get those experiences because let's face it, you paid for them, and that's part of the organization, right? It's part of your history. So don't abandon that stuff for discard it or overlook it. And I, I go back to one of the CEOs who I uh, worked with over the years. It was a bit of a coach, a mentor, a sounding board for him, and and he as he was nearing end of career. Uh, this topic, this question came up a lot and he was reflecting on some things about uh, what's my role in the organization. I mean, he founded the organization and he said, when I started it, I knew more about every aspect of this business than anyone. Now, fast forward 20, 25 years, I got 150 people around me. They're all specialized. They know more about each aspect of the business than I do. So I went from knowing more about everything to the least about everything. So what's my role in this? And one of the things that that struck him was he felt he had a duty uh, and a responsibility to share that experience with the next generation. As he said, you know, he said, I've got people who work for me in particular. He said, I've got some, my kids, he said, they're all very successful in their worlds. And, uh, and he said, but the thing is, I'm, I'm just wiser, <laughs> you know, they're smarter but I'm wiser. And the wisdom comes only from time that I've just simply got more miles on me. And so that there's no amount of smartness that can substitute for that just time uh, and experience. So he felt it was his, his duty really to pass that little bit of wisdom that he had accumulated onto the next generation so they could use it and build upon it and take that knowledge and actually, you know, move it the next leg down the track. And I think for all of us, that's important. And isn't that what Mark Gasparato was saying in the military experience is that if I, as a military commander, can capture the, the content of what I do, then maybe the next commander can use some 10% of that, 50% of it, or all of it to inform a decision that they make. And so, you know, one, one story he shared that probably will, will help to contextualize this a bit. Uh, he was, they were moving into a, a Taliban stronghold in uh, in uh, Afghanistan, and around it, it, there's a lot of uh, I don't know if it's grapes or whatever, but anyway, they they grow them not in a in a classic North American style vineyard or European style vineyard. In fact, they build mounds. So they're uh, so just think of it's like a you know just heap up some earth over a long furrow. So so they're about three feet high and then they plant the trees or the, the bushes in the sides so that they grow up kind of sideways and then you get twice as much uh, plant per square foot kind of thing or per acre. But he said, uh, you know, it, 
creates quite a barrier, a military barrier around a community because you've got all of these berms that surround it, line after line after line. And he said, if you're going to attack them, you basically have to go over one hill and then hide behind that one and then get the next one and reminiscent of World War I trenches almost. So he said what he decided was the road, the only road into this community, this little town, was filled with IEDs. So he said, if we drive down it, we're going to get blown up. So he went and got a bulldozer and just pushed over. He built a new road and he went right through the vineyard kind of thing or the, you know, the, the field. And so effectively he changed the way they do combat uh, just by that we have to go rent a bulldozer from some local contractor and weld all kinds of steel all over it. And he said, we got it all shot to hell. But um, the old guy who owned it wasn't very happy. It ended up buying it from him. But but he said, I saved all my guys uh, because we were able to, you know, go up behind the tank or the uh, bulldozer and actually attack this stronghold because we were able to plow through a field, make our own road going in. So, you know, if he writes that down, if we ever go back to Afghanistan, has Afghanistan ever had more than one war? I think so, right? I mean, there's the point, is that if he would have, you know, if a Russian would have done that 40 years ago or 30 years ago when they were over there, and he could have read that, you know, it would have saved a lot of time and money and effort and maybe some lives. But anyway, you know, my, my point here is that when you talk to somebody who, like the foreign minister of Taiwan, who you would expect would have absolutely no knowledge about Saskatchewan, actually just puts it on you like that. And you say, man, what else have we done? And I don't know about, and that puts Saskatchewan in a distinctly distinct and unique position in the world that we can exploit for commercial reasons or for humanitarian reasons or for diplomatic reasons or for whatever good causes we can come up with just to make us just to understand and underscore uh, our role as citizens on planet earth i've always looked at history from the point of view of personal history and the journey that i've been on from the point of view of every time i've tried to look back at something and remember intricacies it's been difficult and when there's been those moments that i've kept uh, contemporary notes. If they don't need to be particularly detailed, but just just the headlines, just as a aid memoir, just to remind me, it really makes such a difference. So, for the people who say, "I haven't got time to write this down," I haven't got time for this. What would you say? Do do this even just um, you know, tell it to your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor, your friend, and record it. Um, I remember uh, when the Jamie Mason Cohen came to speak to my tech group. Uh, he had worked on Saturday Night Live, but he was working with a with a guy in uh, in Sussex, and uh, he brought him in for twenty minutes in our presentation. He just would sort of pipe him into the to the meeting uh, via Zoom, and he uh, this guy's uh, argument was everybody should write a book. We all have enough stuff for a book, and he said that sounds really daunting. But here's the deal: sit down with anyone, and if you can talk three hours about a topic that you know something about, that's a book, right? So you, if you're telling your grandkids or your, you know, your work colleagues or just a friend about your personal experiences, if you capture them and, you know, everybody's got a recording system on their phone now, uh, you know, if you can accumulate three hours over a few, even a few years, you got yourself a book folks. And, uh, you know, so why not? And not that a book is the end all be all, but we still provide a lot of, uh, value in a book. And as, uh, as our speaker reminded us, he said, 
The word author is the root word for authority. So if you are an author, you are by definition an authority. So capture it. You are an authority about your own knowledge. Paul, thank you so much for this episode. I'm really thoroughly enjoyed this and I'm going to get the old journal out and make sure that it's up to date. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share the insights that power Saskatchewan with your friends and colleagues. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. 